0: This episode is brought to you by the generous support of LawPay, a Texas member benefit provider. Getting paid just got a lot easier. Check them out at LawPay.com. That's LawPay.com for more details. And now, on to the show. Welcome, everybody, to the State Bar of Texas podcast. We are recording on site from the 2022 annual meeting in Houston, Texas. This is your host, Rocky Deer. Joining me now, we have Karen Fitzgerald and Lee Ream. Welcome to the show, guys.
1: Thanks for having us, Rocky. Thank you, Rocky. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here.
0: No. So, well, first of all, let's get to know you guys a little bit. So, Lee, let's start with you. Tell us where you work, what you do, you know, why you're here.
2: I am a lawyer at Davidson, Troilo, Riem and Garza. I practice in San Antonio. I've been there for more than 30 years now. I represent wow. employers in employment law type matters.
0: Okay. So, you're you're the defense side. That's right. Most most often. That's Right. right? All right. So, Karen, I'm assuming maybe you're on the other side of that. I
1: am. I'm Karen Fitzgerald with Fitzgerald Law in Dallas, Texas, and I represent the plaintiff's side. I represent individuals and employment disputes of all kinds. So I'm always on the other side of the table from Lee.
0: Have you guys actually, like, faced off?
2: We've had the, we've been on the other side of one another in a few cases, yes and, and yet you're
0: sitting here together this is this we're is professionals wonder- yes yes <laughs> and 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 we save it for the courtroom. I love it. I love it this is why i love this is why I love the law and love being a lawyer. so you guys were the star attraction today in one of the presentations here at the annual meeting. It was the new world of addressing sexual harassment in the workplace that's that's quite a handful so. What what are we talking about? Are we talking about kind of new cases? Are we talking about legislation? You know,
2: we're talking about legislation. The the Texas Legislature amended the labor code and added some provisions that concern sexual harassment uh, and discrimination, and uh, they made those effective in September first of 2021. And so we're I don't know six months or so later, a little bit later than that now.
0: All right, so which of y'all is happier about it? Is it is it Lee or is it Karen?
2: It's Karen. I was going to sure. say, Karen
0: <laughs> was smiling when I asked the question. She was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I I like this I'm, very much.
1: I am overjoyed by these changes. The Texas legislature gave a lot to us in these revisions because they've broadened the time period that someone can file a charge for sexual harassment. Okay. Um, they've broadened the definition. They've actually defined for the first time what sexual harassment is. It is what a, is it? It's a very, very broad multi multi paragraph definition of course it is and we yeah. can drill down into those um, but it's going to make it far easier for people to pursue a claim and then one of the biggest changes Rocky is before this amendment uh, a company had to have at least 15 employees before sure. they could be sued for sexual harassment they changed the definition of, definition of employer so that it now a company as little as one employee. So basically, now every company has exposure for sexual harassment claims.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so Lee, this is, this is, new territory in a sense for you, right? As a as on the employer side, well, or management it, it side. Well, it
2: basically it's new territory for a lot of Texas employers. So previously, small employers did not have to worry about sexual harassment. So if you had uh, less than fifteen employees, you were. You were pretty much exempt. Kind of immune, right? Yeah. yeah. You were exempt from having to be worried about having policies or procedures in place to deal with sexual harassment sure. or having to 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 respond to the EEOC or to the Texas Workforce Commission Civil Rights Division. You didn't have to do any of those things. And now you're in a different position. And I think another really significant thing about this statute is that the way... In the past, when somebody made a report or a complaint about sexual harassment, sure. an employer had to respond promptly. And now, under the, the way that the statute has been revised, they have to respond immediately and appropriately.
0: What does that mean to you from the employer's side? To me,
2: it means that uh, it, it has to be faster than promptly. <laughs> <laughs> and It has to be immediately. They didn't give us a definition of what that means. Right. But I think from an employer's perspective, it means you've got to be ready when someone makes a complaint like this to, to address it quickly, to investigate it. Uh, you need to have somebody available to do that, uh, and you need to do it immediately.
0: But then, Karen, what happens if the investigation takes a long time?
2: Well,
1: then that gives me some really good arguments that <laughs> they violated the law. Okay. Um, and then the other part is not only do they have to act immediately, sure. they need to take appropriate action. And, of course, that's going to be where there's going to be a lot of fights. What is appropriate action in the context of someone who's filing a sexual harassment complaint? Um reasonable minds can differ on what's appropriate. Sure. Um, but I can tell you certainly taking a long time to investigate and not doing anything while the investigation is pending is probably not going to be appropriate.
0: Agreed. But then, you know, one of the questions I wonder about is now that this is encompassing even smaller employers, right? So if, if, you're, if you're a large company, presumably you have resources, internal resources to be dedicated to these types of claims. Right. What happens to smaller employers? How do they? How do they effectively? A lot of them may not have had any experience with this, so maybe Lee will start with you since this is probably most directly affecting mm-hmm. your potential clients. How would you tell them to be ready for this?
2: You know, let's say you've got a small employer that has maybe just a handful of employees.
0: Sure.
2: Um, one thing to do would be to have a plan that you might be using someone outside the organization to assist you and conducting an investigation if you get one of these reports. But but actually, let me back up first. Sure. The th- first thing for you to do is make sure you have a policy in effect that covers this and says okay. what happens in the instance that somebody has a complaint, how do you file a complaint that the employer is going to respond promptly. And then secondly, I think really to train those employees that you do have about making sure you are prepared mm-hmm. if someone makes a complaint, what should they do? Should they fill out a form? What is the process for that? And then third, the piece that you're asking about, Rocky, is to make sure that you have some kind of concept. Are you going to call your lawyer? Right. Are you going to? Do you have an HR professional? Are you going to call your insurance company? Do you hmm. have some resources there that might be um, effective for you? There, you know, there are a lot of different options that you might pursue. You might have somebody on staff, depending on the complaint that's made, who it's made about, that could address it. But if so, you might want to get them trained so that they will be in a situation that they are prepared to know how to respond to and investigate a complaint like that.
0: Now, from the plaintiff's side, though, Karen, I wonder, do you you foresee, I mean, I understand the statute is written the way the statute is written, but do you foresee common law kind of evolving to maybe to maybe treat smaller employers differently and on a different standard than larger employers?
1: I don't think so. I really don't think so, because I think that's one of the reasons they passed the statute. They realized there's been this gap for people Mm. who work for small employers where employers have been able to get away with an unbelievable array of bad behavior simply because they weren't covered by this law. So I don't think courts will cut them some slack. Maybe they'll cut them a little bit of slack on how immediate, you know, whether it's within the hour or, oh, it took me two days to find a lawyer, maybe they'll get some slack on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But one other thing, Rocky, that's super important about this statute is they also expanded the definition of employer Okay. so that in certain instances, it can include an individual manager. Okay. Or supervisor. And that is a huge change. So now individuals who engage in this bad behavior may also be named in the lawsuit and sued individually. And I think that a lot of people have no idea that change came and that that's coming.
0: Now, that might be a liability question, but then who pays the bill? I mean, if, if, there's, if there's a finding of liability, is it the, if, there, if the employee who is being sued individually is working for the employer then does the employer ultimately pay that bill or does the employer have an argument to say, look, you're on your own management employee? It
2: depends, right? I think it depends on whether or not how egregious perhaps the conduct was or the allegations are about that person, whether or not they were doing something within the course and scope of their employment or not. Um, Because generally an employer isn't responsible if somebody did something illegal or improper or something like that. Um, and so it, it, it's going to depend, I think, on the on the facts of the case. Uh, if an employer has insurance, you know that in, that that would enter into a little different dynamic about whether there's coverage for sure. those acts or sure. something like that as well.
0: Although I can I can see a potential insurer saying, "Look, we're we're out of this, right?" And so it's it's going to. I, I anticipate that's going to be an interesting question about who pays the bill, regardless of liability. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, absolutely going to be a big question. And it's going to be a question that's
1: interesting in the internal dialogue, because the individual manager may be saying to the company, make this go away. Right. And the company may be saying, shame on you. We intend to fight. We mm-hmm. don't care what you want. So there's the potential for conflicts coming up a lot. hmm
0: well, and, and possibly there being a conflict internally in terms of what what the employer wants the manager to say and what the, what the manager actually believes is their truth of what they want. So, yeah, there, there could be internal dissension within the company itself. Is that, Lee, I'm assuming that's going to give you some heartburn.
2: Well, I mean, and as lawyers, we have to be concerned about whether or not, like, can I represent both people? Right. Or do we need two lawyers? Uh, just now, who's depends. paying for that
0: second lawyer, right? Well,
2: exactly, right? Like, that, that creates a whole other dynamic into just, like, how you proceed.
0: Wow. Okay.
2: And if you think about it, a
1: lot of the smaller companies may not have employment practices liability sure. insurance. right. So this is going to be a very rude awakening to get one of these types of lawsuits and be like, oh, my gosh, how do we deal with this? We've never had to deal with this before.
0: Now, these are, are – are these – this is a, a state-level statute, as I understand it, right? So what—and I don't know if you know this or not. So if this is an, an unfair question, then I apologize. But what, what do you think precipitated this particular change in the law? I mean, I, I understand there was a gap. But what got our legislature to kind of say, hey, we need to address this. We need to address this now. Do you guys have any insight on that?
1: I do have an answer for that. And they actually talk about it a little bit in the legislative history. Okay. The people who introduced the bill made the point that, you know, a lot of people who are being sexually harassed in the workplace, first, a lot of the time they're trying to ignore that it's happening and trying to deal with it themselves. And sometimes it's just too traumatic to deal with it. And so what they realized is the time period of 180 days to file a claim was just too short. Okay. So they wanted to address that. And then they also realized there's this gap of protection for women who work for, well, and it applies to men as well. Sure. But for people who work for small employers, they realize there's a gap where bad things can still happen and these people don't have a remedy unless the behavior has crossed over to being an assault. You could always sue someone for assault, but you couldn't sue for sexual harassment. But to have an assault, you had to have a touching. So
0: what does this do in the in the remote work context? Right? Because in the remote work context, mm. you know, how do you think that this this plays out? Because now employees are at home. And yes, harassment can still take place, but does it look different? So I mean, Lee. How well, are how are you advising clients? Let me
2: tell you. You can do a whole lot with pictures and text messaging and social media. You can certainly harass someone and them not be physically present. Uh, sure. Now, admittedly, I will say that I think uh, worst cases are when there are physical. There's physical contact between two people, but. Um, but but it's certainly possible in that situation to meet the definition that the legislature has adopted here that that you've made demands on someone uh, and might be demanding that that they send pictures to that person of themselves mm-hmm. or, or things of that nature. It's certainly possible.
0: Although presumably that's easier to investigate and and sort of settle one way or the other. Yeah,
2: well, and actually that's, I think, a, a very significant issue in any form of investigation, whether it's remote or not, is to see what kind of electronic communications there have been, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, social media, telephone, email, etc.
0: It's amazing to see what people are willing to put In writing for the world to see.
2: (laughs) Uh, Truth is stranger than fiction. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. And
1: um, the text message does not go away. And it's not just text messages, though. A lot of companies are using instant message platforms, so Slack, um, Google Chat, Google Play, Skype, all that stuff. And a lot of those things are being recorded, Mm -hmm. and so there really is a record.
0: Right, right. So I, I suppose. In a sense, that kind of does that make it more clear cut? Then does does remote work make this? Does it at least make the investigation easier, or is it still just as I, complex a I, case? I
2: think it. I mean, I think it really could depend, um, like uh, on what's alleged um, in terms of the investigation. Because um, you know, if it is something that someone says was in text messages, whether that's remote or not, I think that's that's very helpful to the employer to discerning whether or not it was you know, whether there's merit to the allegations or not.
1: And it's going to be really interesting now that people are going back to work to see what happens. Um, on the plaintiff side, we always laugh about the office Christmas party. It's a great business generator. <laughs> um, and so now that people are coming back to the office and right. they're not used to behaving well around others, you know, are things going to
2: change? We just don't know.
0: Yeah. They're like, I've had no human contact. Come here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I well, can. and
2: they're happy to see each other, you know. I mean, it's just natural to want to hel- greet each other and hug and so on. So,
1: and you always have the hugger, the person, oh, I'm just a friendly guy. I'm just a hugger. And it's right. like, yeah. well, don't, you know, just don't. <laughs> that would be Lee's advice <laughs> yeah. to them.
0: Just, just, just. Sh- this, shake hands. That's maybe. right.
2: That's right. Wave.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Just, just six feet apart. Just, let's just, COVID,
2: <laughs> COVID
1: rules, you know, fist bumps, elbows, yeah, sh- you know, right. just keep COVID rules in place and that might help a little bit.
0: So, you know, I, I wonder, do you think that there's, so you talked about how there's a statutory definition of what constitutes sexual harassment. And, and Karen, I think you said it's a, it's a fairly extensive, in-depth type of, type of definition in terms of what people in a workplace would perceive to be sexually harassing conduct outside of, say, just just the statutory definition. Do you do you foresee there being generational differences?
1: Absolutely. Older workers think,
0: oh, something is perfectly okay. Younger workers maybe don't or vice versa. You know, do you foresee that happening?
1: One hundred percent. Absolutely. Young young people today, you know, they are very quick to feel that any type of contact, whether it's just a pat on the back or somebody slides their arm down their back, that that's an assault. So, you know, I see young women coming in saying I was assaulted in the workplace. And it's something that I might look at and be like, well, it's not appropriate, but I probably wouldn't call it an assault. But definitely there's a generational difference.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a a mother of a uh, a twenty-something-year-old, and it's interesting. We have lots of conversations. I'm, I'm, my eyes are opened all the time sure. to a different perspective on gender. Um, you know, what is, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And sometimes I'm probably the more conservative, but a lot of times she's the person who's more like, yeah, that's, why would you say that kind of thing? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like she'll call you out because it's uh, very particular about words used and um, judgment being rendered. And so um, I think it's, I think it is, I think it is something that we'll see differences, sensitivity, a higher level of sensitivity about things that other people might not have found problematic.
0: So I want to maybe end with one final substantive question for both of you before we Before we wrap up, we could talk about this for ages, but, you know, from the employee, from the employee perspective, Karen, what would you say, what's the advice you would give to a potential, to to an employee who thinks they might've been harassed? What's, what are the steps they need to take, you know, and then Lee, we're going to turn over to you from the management side. Sure.
1: So I would say complain early and often and document, Okay. gather documents, make contemporaneous notes, print out emails, you know. Make your complaints known,
2: do it early, don't wait, and, and have get record. the evidence.
0: Right. Okay. Lee?
2: I would say, you know, first of all, make sure your policy's up to date. If you don't, if you're like a small employer and haven't had a handbook, you need to get one. Sure. Don't just download it off the internet. Got get it. one that actually is quality. Train your employees to be ready um, to deal with, like, appropriate conduct with each other and then to deal with somebody making a complaint and be ready to investigate and act appropriately, uh, immediately and (laughs) appropriately. Yes, that's right. If there is a complaint.
0: Well, unfortunately, it does look like we've reached the end of our program, but I want to thank you both. I want to thank Karen and Lee for joining us today. You guys, you guys are awesome. Thank you.
2: Thanks. Thank
0: you. Now, if our listeners have questions, they have want to follow up or they want to talk to a lawyer? How do they reach you? So Karen, let's start with you.
1: So sure. Uh, My website is www.fitzgerald.law. So it ends in .law and not .com.
0: Wow. Okay. You're fancy. Modern. Yeah. I was going to say, dang.
2: (laughs) I'm at Davidson, Troilo, Riem Garza. And um, you can reach me at lriem at dtrglaw.com.
0: Dtrglaw.com. Okay. Awesome. Well, That is all the time we have for this episode of the State Bar of Texas podcast brought to you by LawPay. Thank you, LawPay. Also, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Rocky Deer, and until next time, thank you for listening.